When the human's default is to bias towards negativity and negativism and negative thought, you know, you can very quickly see how if you are in a constant state of this default mode network within a pandemic, it's opening up Pandora's box to just crush resiliency. Welcome back to the Clinical Athlete Podcast. If you're not familiar with Clinical Athlete, we're a network of healthcare providers, students, and coaches who specialize in the management of athletes. We have two missions. The first mission is to connect athletes with professionals who they can trust. And our second mission is to create a community and foster the education of those professionals and future professionals in the realm of athlete health and performance. This podcast is one way that we fulfill those missions. And if you're one of our six listeners who enjoyed the show, do us a favor and give it a rating on your favorite podcast platform so that we can get the information out to as many people as possible. In fact, pause this, click that five star, maybe even give a, a, a nice little review and boom, duty fulfilled. To learn more about Clinical Athlete, head on over to the website, clinicalathlete.com and join the free Kalu Community Facebook group where the Clinical Athlete and the Level Up Initiative communities have combined to form an amazing group with several different types of learning opportunities. You can join the Kalu Community Facebook group by clicking the link in the show notes. My name is Quinn Hennick. I'm a doctor of physical therapy in Orange County, California at Clinical Athlete Newport. On this show, we are joined by co-hosts Jared Maynard and John Flagg. Jared is a clinical athlete provider and physiotherapist in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada, and an online powerlifting coach. John is a clinical athlete provider and certified athletic trainer, an online powerlifting, weightlifting, and strongman coach, and the lead instructor of the clinical athlete powerlifting certification. And we have an awesome guest on today's show, Nick Hanna. Nick is a physiotherapist up in the Great White North, and for anyone who follows him on social media, particularly his Instagram, Hannah Moves, you know that he's a tremendous resource for some of the skills not often talked about in the reconditioning and performance space, such as communication skills and making meaningful connections with the clients that we work with, as well as finding meaning yourself within yourself as a clinician and individual. We talk about all these things with Nick through the lens of the concept of resilience Nick shares with us his insight into what he's learned about this quality, how he imparts it within himself and his clients, and the scientific basis of the meaning behind the term resilience. So if you want to dive into a conversation that sets aside the gym talk and the sets and reps for a little bit and gets into to some of the deeper aspects of being the best human that you can be, this show is for you. We hope you enjoy. All right. <laughs> Show has started officially because I say, Jared, what's up, man? Not much. I'm excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a bit. Yeah. John, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. We got a 50-50 split right now with the Great White North and America. For it's going to be a good balanced show. Uh, Nick, do you have an iPhone or an Android? <laughs> there it is. Oh, no. Here we go. <laughs> I have an iPhone. Of course you do. So there's not there's there's your split. 
<laughs> Who's got the Android? I do. I do. I used That's to, but I defected. I'm not surprised, John. I know. I'm a rebel. What can I say? I got I to gotta do something, right? Got to keep Quinn on his toes. Don't. And, Android is the is to the cell phone game what Squadcast is to the <laughs> podcast recording game. Oh, no. He's, he's chirping it now. Look, look at this. He's already th- sending chirps out. Yeah, John, don't uh, equate an Android to being rebellious because that makes it sound cool. But I, I, I'm just trying to be on your level, Quinn. Okay, I'm just trying oh, to. Not. Be- oh, <laughs> John had enough. He muted himself. Um, <laughs> well, Nick Hanna, I brought you into the iPhone Android conversation before we introduced you. But uh, thanks for being on the show. Number one, we're excited to have you. No problem. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you were going to keep going, bro. No, no, no. No, I wanted you, basically, I wanted you to uh, share in my enthusiasm, but clearly, clearly not. And I don't want you to feel things that, you know, I can't make you feel excited. So that has to come from your heart. I think the excitement will come through in, in the things that I have to say today, more or less. I, I do feel genuine gratitude at the moment because this has been a long time coming. Jared had asked me to hop on a long time ago and I told him I would, and then it kind of fell through. And then we've kind of just been in this limbo state for a long time. So I, I'm truly excited to be here, Quinn. I, I promise you, man, this is a, <laughs> it's going to be a good time. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. you now you, I, Quinn, you suck at hiding the pain in your eyes. It was just, it was all over you. Hey, listen, he, I don't control anybody else's emotions, but Nick just made me feel sad. He forced well, me mean, to feel sad about that. You didn't ask him if this is the pinnacle of of his career yet. I mean, I haven't, you, you I haven't left that there. question out there, and so he just threw it out and said, "Yes, it is." That comes later. Obviously, pinnacle. Let's, well, we're going to talk about speaking of uh, emotions and and things. We're going to talk about uh, resilience today, and that's a big topic, and it's one that Nick is passionate about. But before we jump in, Nick, uh, can you give our six listeners? a background on yourself and what's led you, you know, what led you to the field and what's led you to your, your current interests and uh, ultimately to, as John mentioned, the, the pinnacle of your career sitting here before us on the clinical athlete podcast. Excellent question. This might be the pinnacle, but, or my launch pad, who knows? <laughs> so so I am a physical therapist or physiotherapist in, as we like to call it in Canada. And I got introduced to the field. I think like, like many, the boring answer is I was involved in sports. I got hurt. I met some physios. I thought that would be a cool, a cool career, a cool journey. But I think what really grabbed my interest and I've, I've shared this story before and I've, I've reflected on a lot, but I got a chance to see some of the, the neuro care model uh, with one of my grandparents who had a pretty, pretty severe stroke. And the more I reflect on that, like seeing him being, be transformed from, you know, quite, quite limited and quite functionally debilitated back into the person who I knew to be my grandpa was, was pretty remarkable. And, and there's, there's a real cognitive empathy piece to that story for me, right? This realization that, uh, 
you know, at, at some point in our lives, we are going to be under the care of another person, whether I think we like it or not, <laughs> unless we're, unless we make it through unscathed. But this life is, is, uh, has a funny way of showing, uh, that it's a, a difficult thing. You know, I, I'm sure the, the last year and a half will reflect that for many of us. But so I think that aspect was actually what was the more of the magnetic force for me to to see how these people interacted with them, how they showed true compassion and true caring for another person. And I wanted to be able to do those same things and it doesn't live in a neuro field for me, but it lives in an outpatient orthopedic world for me. So that's kind of the, sh- the short or the long and short of it for me, I think. And has that experience, how has that experience, I guess, influenced you as a clinician? Because it sounds like it has. Yeah, I, I, I think from a ritualistic perspective, what, it's taught me is this real practice of grounding and presence. And I, I do a, um, I do a good job between every client to make sure that I am fully there for them. And so one of the things that, that I introduce, Jesus, I I feel like I'm, I'm losing my voice. Uh, One of the things I do between every client I see is I, I say this ritual in my head alongside four deep breaths, which is, you know, be grateful, be kind, don't judge and, and show compassion. And that's part of a greater mantra of mine, which is be grateful because it's a privilege to get to, to help people, you know, try and become better versions of of themselves every day. Be kind because you never know what kind of shit somebody's going through at at any given moment. And I'm sure, you know, people are just full of, unbelievable stories of of not not necessarily suffering but just like getting through tough times so be grateful be kind don't judge because again that whole piece of you can be in their shoes at any time and at like likely you will be at some point in your life and then just be compassionate right like i think uh empathize for other people because uh you know, we, we are, I think what this pandemic has shown is we are so connected beyond what, what we could have ever believed. And, you know, we are on the, on the same level in a lot of respects. And so, yeah, just to, to put yourself into another's world and then show that warmth and caring is so important. So, yeah, it's, a, it's affected me pretty big, I'm realizing. <laughs> um, I think that segue is pretty well into today's topic in which we were going to talk about resilience as a concept, but also as an area of study. And because we throw that term out a lot, you know, we're, we're focusing on building resilience within our clients and ourselves. But, you know, what does that, what does it mean? Um, is it something you can measure or is it just a construct that's more abstract and you just, you know, you kind of build it around other things that are more tangible, but what does the, the, the concept of resilience mean to you kind of at a base level? And then uh, we can start there and just kind of run with it. Sure. I, I look at it very broadly and I, I, I steal, uh, there's a researcher, uh, 
her name's Golnaz Tabibnia. She's out of the University of California, actually. She, I just want to backtrack before I talk about what it is, because she wrote an absolute love letter of a paper in 2020 on she introduced an effective neuroscience model for boosting resiliency in adults and that was my favorite paper of 2020 and the reason i got involved in looking into resilience was because of the pandemic realistically and how we all just kind of in one way shape or form maybe took it started to take a tumble down maslow's hierarchy of needs if you will (laughs) right down from from feeling maybe pretty good and self-actualized all the way down to those sort of innate psychological and safety needs. So resiliency, I just steal from her when I say it's this sense of adapting well in the face of chronic or adverse or chronic or acute adversity of some sort. So that's, that's how I look at it in a very broad sense. And then Man, oh man, like we, I don't want to be too long-winded, but I, I love the, the model that she introduces because she introduces a tripartite model, this sort of trichotomized um, approach to boosting resiliency. And there's three main domains from an, a neuroscience uh, perspective that she ut- utilizes. And I really want to focus today on one of the three, the one that really doesn't get a lot of, of mention. So... Do you want me to go into the model? Would that be useful? I think so. I think it would create a nice framework for us. And we'll put that... Do you remember the title of the paper off the top of your head? Because we'll put that in the show notes for people. I could look it up. Hang we'll, fi- we'll find it anyway. Okay. Yeah, we'll it's, put that in the show notes. I, I, I think it is an effective neuroscience model for boosting uh, resiliency in adults. Okay. I think Golnaz Tabibnia. Cool. Beauty. She's a beauty. So, So the... She, she sort of looks at resiliency from this neuroscience perspective, and, and there are three main neurological networks that she uses that we can access to, um, to bolster resiliency. And so those are the, the HPA access, sort of amygdala, autonomic nervous system, which is more of your distress, fear, and stress system. So that's one domain the second being the more of your mesostriatal reward systems, these, you know, the, the dopaminergic reward and motivation pathways associated with pleasure, or happiness, that sort of thing. And then this third network, which is the default mode network. And that's what I want to focus on because that that's the thing that's been, I think, really relevant <laughs> to the, to the last year for many people. But in its simplest, she talks about boosting resiliency by either down-regulating the distress pathways, up-regulating the reward and positivity pathways, or down-relating, down-regulating this default mode network. And so a lot of the stuff that I'm sure you guys have already talked about a million times over in all three of your podcasts that you've done up until this point, you know it's not, these aren't new concepts, right? Like if you want to talk about boosting positive, those are things like, you know, physical health, like exercise, sleep, um, good nutrition, that sort of like all these things that we are familiar with. And then the down rate regulation of the negative stuff is, is more 
you know, in, in a world that I don't know much about, which is more like a cognitive behavioral world, um, you know, teaching people stress inoculation strategies, like all that cognitive and behavioral coping stuff, which I don't know much about. But what I do give a shit about is more of this sense of how we can downregulate the default mode network, which has to do with like things that transcend yourself. And I, I, I want to be not too crazy when I talk about this stuff today because it can get a little bit, a little bit out there. But I think we can reel it in and make it make it make sense for a lot of people. So I'm trying to check, does, does everybody have their incense lit before we get into this <laughs> conversation? Because I got mine. <laughs> I got my boom boom. We're good. Well, Hell yeah. What's cool is like it can seem like it's out there, but there is emerging science. So I was first introduced to the the part of the brain, this default mode network, which is which is a network uh, in various parts of the brain. So it's not just like one part of the brain, but it's this interconnected network. From reading the book "How to Change Your Mind" from Michael Pollan, which was mostly on the science of of psychedelics for psychotherapy, but um, this default mode network being being downregulated, like you said, Nick, and I and I'll let you go into this, but um, I'm super interested because I I think it's you know there's something there, and um, so uh, let's hear you you teach us, and then we'll teach the world. Yeah, I'll do my best. I'm no I'm no expert. I'm just I'm just channeling this minor minor uh, Golnaz Tibibnia. <laughs> with oh, this paper that sounds so good but so the the yeah the default mode network really as you said quinn it's it's several regions of the brain and these are regions that are active when a person is not focused on the outside world so it's it's like your what's your default mental state when you're sort of at this conscious resting point and you know what what most people's default sort of state is to wander and really to be thinking about themselves and to be in their heads about the past or the future in some capacity. And why it's relevant to this past year to sort of bring the pandemic into this discussion is when, when you're going through something with that much uncertainty you know, you're going to have a really hard time bringing yourself back to the present, which is out of that default mode network. And you're constantly going to be worried about the, the uncertainty of the future, the events of the past. There's so much that that is going on and that can lead to a sense of overwhelm. And when the, when the human's default is to bias towards negativity and negativism and negative thought, you know, you can very quickly see how if you are in a constant state of this default mode network within a pandemic, you're, it's opening up Pandora's box to just crush resiliency. Like it's just, you are, you are going to be all in your head, worried about everything, you know, and you have to really work hard to get out of the future, get out of the past and bring yourself back to the present. And so if we can find ways to downregulate that default mode network and transcend yourself and bring yourself to the present moment, this is one 
very powerful means to sort of bolster and boost resiliency. And that's the kind of shit I want to talk about because <laughs> I'm, I'm sick of talking about exercise and, and physical health and stuff like that. I hope your audience is cool with that. We'll warn them up front. <laughs> Would it be safe to say that the default mode network, just to give people some context, because what I remember from, again, that book that I referenced, How to Change Your Mind, if, if we think about it on a, on a spectrum of um, mental states, anxiety and depression are kind of the, the default mode network is going haywire. It's upregulated to a pathological state. You're caught, like you said, you're constantly within yourself and um, it's the sense of self that's, that's inflated to a point where you're unable to kind of function within the environment around you. And then the other side of the spectrum is kind of, is, I think one of, I think schizophrenia was on the other side of the, the spectrum or kind of hallucinogenic uh, pathological states, but you're, you're trying to find that, that spot where you're not so wrapped up in within yourself and you're able to kind of pull out of that and, and be able to interact with the environment with some freedom. And, and um, is that kind of on the right track? Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I would also say like it, it would be very hard to and again like when when we explain things we we like to separate and put into boxes but again with this model like there's so, sort of an interrelationship between the networks and so when when you mentioned depression and anxiety like certainly there's going to be an upregulation of of their default mode in 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 terms of yeah constantly being ruminating about you know the past and future as well as uh, sort of an upregulation of, of the HPA axis, the amygdala, the, the sort of stress and distress response pathways as well. And then there's going to be, you know, a, a downregulation of, of those mesostriatal reward systems and pathways as well. So there's sort of this always that interrelationship, but, but I think what you said is spot on. Like I, I wouldn't disagree with that whatsoever. So now with that, you kind of mentioned wanting to um, incorporate this into probably your own life, I would imagine, but also as a clinician and being able to impart some of these things um, to your to your clients and those people that you work with. So how have you been using this model to start that process? Yeah, I mean, that's a fantastic question because you're right. We, because we are people <laughs> and our clients are also people the the act of trying to enhance our own resiliency to be able to pour and give more to our clients in our ability to empower their re resiliency really matters and so yeah if we can find ways to sort of disengage from this default self-focused mind wandering instead of engaging in the present moment then you know we almost need to lose ourselves to activities or experiences that are personally meaningful. And so where I want to take the discussion, honestly, is the, the, the most important, I think, way to combat the downregulating of the default mode network is to, and again, like this sounds cliche, but like it's, is to search and find that, that deeper purpose or meaning in your life. And that relates to clients as well, right? When, when people work with me, I mean, I'm, I'm diving deep to find meaning. I'm diving deep to find what's important. 
to these people because that honestly is the most important canvas with which that I can build and and sort of be the architect of meaningful rehab and and a rehab process that is more engaging to to people. So if we want to bolster and create resiliency, we need to we need to first find some sense of a higher calling or purpose in our lives. And that's uh that's a hard thing to do when when we're in a pandemic. <laughs> Just want to jump in. So I've little I have no trouble at all believing that you dive in deep with your clients and I I would also point to that as being one of the the reasons why you're probably you know as, as successful as you are you know and that's it's not me trying to to boost your ego got enough of that just kidding love you um no but I, I think it's actually really awesome so I wanted to to ask what does that process of diving in deep look like are you touching on that on day one <clears throat> excuse me with the initial assessment are you sort of building on that little by little what's your process it's a great question. The, the and there there is no there is no cookie cutter response. It is different with with different people because you know I'm in trying to read the room with different people. Like there are some people who are going to be really into this self exploratory process early on, and then there are others where I almost have to leave like little nuggets of inquiry at the the end of sessions and and ask them to think on that sort of stuff themselves because a lot of people show up to physiotherapy offices almost with this false expectation of like, you know, and we've had millions of discussions like this, but we're the gurus, we're the fixers, we're the, you know, pain, magic, snap of a finger, see you later, magic wand, see you later pain. So people come with this expectation that, you know, that's what's going to happen and stuff's going to be done to them. And then they, they get taken aback when my first question is so, you know, so John, what's, what's important to you, man? Like, I want to know what, what really lights a fire in you. And, and I love when people get taken aback with questions like that. And I almost have to preface that I'm going to ask some questions because yeah, I think when it, when it comes to a rehab process and, you know, we all know that people, you know, dealing with acute issues, chronic issues, we all know that this, this, thing we do which is rehabilitation is a journey and a process and you know if if people if people aren't latched on to something that's personally meaningful to them they can easily get lost in in the minutia of of all the shit that that happens and and let's be honest like a lot of this stuff will get boring and you know, I, I love James Clear's take on it, like with Atomic Habits, when he said something to the effect of, you know, you, you need to be really good at persisting with the boring to be successful. And so, again, my, my individual process with searching for meaning with people, it, it takes it, it's a different look with different people, honestly. But it starts with those kind of questions, honestly. And, you know, I, I care more about what they do and who they are first than what's going on with their knee or the shoulder or what, <laughs> what have you because then we can create the you know the the process and the the strategies and the game plan that is personally relevant to them 
and that hopefully will be more of a more of a spark for them when when choosing to engage or not engage with the rehab process. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I have to imagine that you you probably end up being able to get further especially along that line of inquiry about those deeper questions, what they care about, the stuff that they're, they're not expecting usually to be asked or having to answer at physio just because of the perceptions around rehab, probably get further as you build that rapport and just probably from the first moments that you meet them, you know, because I've never been in the same room with you as you assess somebody, but I would wager, and tell me if I'm off here, and especially knowing that you have that that practice of, so it sounds like centering yourself, making sure that you're fully present before you approach that person, that when you go into the room or, or sit down with them, you know, from your, your verbal and nonverbal communication, you're asking them how they are, but it's not just the, Hey, how's it going? And like, not actually caring. You actually want to know and you'll respond accordingly. And I think that I have to imagine that tells people that you care, like you give a damn. And then as you, continue to build on that and ask you know, the other questions, whether it's the assessment or follow-up sessions, you know, as, as you get into those deeper questions, they're probably more willing to open up because that, that base trust has already started to be built. Hey? That's right. And I think one of the skills I've really developed over the last two years in my, some of my own personal growth is to not shy away from double clicking on, on things that come up that, will will serve as useful entry points to deeper connection. And these can be sometimes very uncomfortable, like seemingly uncomfortable discussions. But I mean, one of the, the biggest gifts, this, this sort of long, long haul of a pandemic has brought my practice has been this, this sense of being deeply connected with all the people (laughs) and the fact that we're all collectively going through this. Oh man. I mean, I want to go as far to call it grieving in a sense. Like it certainly started out that way for me. And, and so when people make mention of things like, and you know, things are, are kind of difficult at home, you know, new grad Nick would probably have been like, okay, on to the next question. <laughs> and now it's like, okay, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you say all you want to say, but then I'm going to circle back to that because, because I want to know what's going on there. And I want to know, I want to know the full and whole experience you're, you're dealing with right now. And I want to know, are there certain, you know, psychological barriers that, that you need to break through before we can even engage physically and, and I'm just not afraid to go there anymore. And I think I, maybe it's because I've, I've been doing some growing up as a, as a person, as a clinician, but I just think that if, if we shy away from the hard conversations early, then it's always going to be this sort of shallow, sort of, you know, lip service based rehabilitative process that, you know, we're both not truly engaged with and is just kind of going nowhere at the end of the day. It's kind of, you know, just, just spinning the wheels and doing, 
you know, going to work and doing our thing and going home and not really, you know, having, having the depth of compassion that actually helps people recover. So, yeah, I think, I think that's been a huge growth point for me and, and it's, it's shown a lot. And I, I think now people can just, whether my energy level has changed clinically or something, people just know that I'm, I'm not there to bullshit and I'm, I'm, I'm there with them. Like I'm in their corner and I'm not screwing around and like, and, and I know I'm sounding way too serious and normally I'm like a goofball, but, but it, it, it needs to start from a place like people really need to know that you give a shit. And, and with me, like there's like, what you get is what you get. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to hide anything. So I'm as genuine and authentic as they come, I think. And I, I try my best to do that in everything that I do. And so, but yeah, you said it, man, like I'm not afraid to, to work my way through a bit of an uncomfortable conversation to find what's meaningful and important or what needs to be worked through to get to the meaning. Hey guys, Quinn Hennick here. Here's your brain break from our awesome conversation with Nick Hanna about resilience. Just so you don't forget, if you haven't already, go to the link in the show notes. Join the Kalu Community Facebook Group, C-A-L-U Community Facebook Group. Read the pinned announcement in the group. Introduce yourself in the introductions thread. Read the resources uh, tab that we've compiled for you with the Kalu mission and some Kalu-approved starter pack materials, including must-listen-to podcasts and must-read papers. Also, if you're interested in the online clinical athlete powerlifting certification that John Flagg has created, you can check out the link in the show notes as well. In my biased opinion, there is nothing quite like it out there for managing the reconditioning and performance training for the powerlifting athlete. Find the link in the show notes. And now, back to the show. Well, I'll tell you one thing. What this screams to me is identity. We talk a lot about digging in and finding what people are there. They actually identify with. Nobody walks into the clinic and says, I am knee pain. They are a grandparent or they're a mom that wants to be physically active and something's been taken away from them. And unfortunately, with the current model that's out there, nobody asks them that. So it actually becomes an uncomfortable conversation. When you look at this default mode to circle it back to that, how much of that is embroiled in self-identity? Because especially with the pandemic, so many people had their identity taken away because normal life was suddenly gone. Yeah, that I mean, you just said it right there, right? So the any any opportunity for people to, you know, sort of engage in this in this. I like to separate, you know, we're human beings, not human doings. I forget who, who did that, but we're, we're not really being at the moment because we're, we're so busy just trying to take care of our, our most basic, our most basic needs. And I alluded to that at the, at the, the start, I think, where we're just tumbling down Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And yeah, even, even myself, like there was a period of time when I, though I was able to work throughout the, the entirety of all this, like I, I was scared shitless. I was like, my God, I, you know, I just, I just bought a house. <laughs> like, I, uh, 
uh, I got to make sure I can, I can afford this stuff. And it's, it's unbelievable, like where your priorities go when, uh, you know, when something of this grandiose uncertainty strikes you. And we all know that the human, we as humans love uncertainty. So, but yeah, I love that, John, like just people got stripped of, of so much of their identity and probably when, when identity gets interwoven with purpose, that, that can be, that can be a huge detriment. And again, I, I want to sort of reweave purpose back into this because the, the thing that can keep you going and keep that fire lit in the face of adversity and in the face of uncertainty and, and this global grieving and challenge that we're going through is this sense of a higher calling and purpose. And, and that's just something that's just very human. Like there's something very weirdly us about having this sense of trying to figure it out. And, you know, what, what, what is all this happening? Like what, what's, what's the point of all this? And, you know, I, I, I can't help but think of like weird shit pops into my head, fellas. Like, like, have you guys heard of the, the caves in uh, the Southern of Southern part of France are called the Chauvet caves. Have you heard of these? Okay. So God, I'm so weird, but these caves have some of the best preserved sort of pale, our paleolithic ancestors from like, I think 35,000 years ago, have these paintings of like hundreds of different animals and they're like so well preserved and these beautiful works of art. And so there's just this weird connectivity I feel to that where like we, we want to leave a mark, right? Like we want to, there's this innate drive that we all have to make something of ourselves and sort of lift the world up a little bit and you know there's no other animals that are that are leaving paintings and and shit like that you know like that's us that's that's like a weird human thing and so i just think you know we we all need to be striving for our own individual meaning and striving for for this purpose beyond ourselves that can keep you going in the face of of adversity and hardship i think it's it's just so paramount and so, so important beyond so much of the other shit I've talked about in other podcasts. This is the pinnacle boys. <laughs> There's a lot that's going through my head as you're, as you're talking about that. And I'm, I'm thinking about two things. I'm thinking about the, the clinician and the, and the person in front of you as kind of, they're a team, but they're also separate entities. What's going to keep the clinician coming coming back and, and doing their, uh, what they feel is their mission, you know, their calling, what's the keep going to keep them coming back and, and wanting to do that and, and feeling energized to do that day after day, month after month, year after year. And what's going to keep the, the client to continue the process of rehabilitation. As you mentioned, it's a process, you know, what's going to keep them doing the boring shit, as you mentioned, and we do boring shit all the time brushing your teeth is not uh super exciting 
but you do it because there's it's not brushing your teeth there's something there's some other uh you know importance behind that it's it's what that is giving you uh, a healthy mouth and your ability to eat and then these types of things. But why do people really fall out of, of rehab or why do they fall off? You know, is it because it's boring or is it because it's boring and they also didn't understand and didn't find meaning in the process? And, um, you know, as a, for me as a clinician, I can tell you the, the times where I've felt most connected to, to my profession and my meaning and the person in front of me is not when I, wrote the quote unquote perfect exercise program. Uh, it was when there was a connection made, you know, from one end or the other, or maybe both of us at the same time that, that went far beyond that. So what you were saying d definitely resonated with me and g taking it back to this concept of resilience, do you, f do you find that helping both the clinician and the client find that meaning is one of the important steps into creating this more, you know, long-term characteristic? So I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a first step. And because you, there, there's a, there's a bigger step beyond that, that I maybe want to touch on today too. <laughs> so the, yeah, the, the finding the meaning, the purpose is like that at the top of Maslow's hierarchy, that, that self-actualized, version of yourself which is really this this realization of your full potential and the the you know the complete full development of your abilities and and just this self-appreciation through creativity so that's that's at the top and then there's a step beyond that that uh that i'm personally striving for but let's i want to circle back as you said like how to you mentioned like finding meaning and purpose to both clinician and client. And I think the important starting place is with, with the clinician, because we need to fill our cups first. You know, you can't give away what you don't have. And so I think, you know, seeing and having conversations with new grads who are like burning out, burning out like a year into their practice. And I'm like, man, like something's not, something's not right here. And so when it comes to finding individual meaning and purpose, like there is, you know, we, we can break this down, but there's certainly like the what of it. And then there's, there's the why of it. And, you know, is, was it Simon, that Simon Sinek dude who has the start with why is that, did I got that right. Okay. I haven't read his book, but you know, I, I get it. So, so, uh, yeah, you need to start with the right, the right growth goals, because there are certainly aspects to the individual you that are, might be conducive to growth, but might not be personally meaningful to you. So, you know, there is, you, you gotta be careful not to lose yourself in, I, and I think part of the problem with some new grads is that they've become lost into trying to become who they should be instead of who they actually are and you know this this authentic authenticity piece is so important like like nick hannah's a fucking goofball and uh you know he's he's going to be a sarcastic prick 95 percent of the time you talk to him but then if you strip back the layers you'll realize oh there's a little bit more to this kid and what you see is what you get but i find like 
there's so much weird pressure to, you know, have this, have it all figured out when, when people are starting out now that they're trying to become something that they're not. So what I would suggest in terms of people's own approach to finding meaning and purpose is to just focus on goals that are conducive to individual growth, which is, you know, growth is an, is a wide topic as well, but it could be mastery. It could be self-improvement to me. Growth is creativity and growth is connection and, and growth is lifting up this profession. Like that's, that's my kind of growth. That's the kind of shit I'm into, but you know, those are things you should be focused on. And then just experientially sample things and, and try and find what, what you love and find what like just lights a fire in you. Like you're not supposed to have it all figured out right away. So what I like to do is just use imagery and visualize like the, who I know the best version of myself is like who, who I am striving to become and just to fall in love with that. Like just have so much self-compassion towards like who you are now and, and, but striving towards who you want to be. And then what I do is I, I kind of create this, this habit hierarchy and this, this daily process of an endpoint and then breaking down, you know, do my, do my daily habits support the meaning and, and importance that I'm striving for months and years down the road. And it really makes decisions far easier for me, right? Like, when it comes to, you know, is this in support of what I, what I want to be and who I want to become, or does it not? And then it's easy to just shed the, shed the knots. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of tangenting, but I think you need to pursue wisely, you know, find your why and then develop a what behind your purpose. And, but you don't have to figure it out in six months of practice. So that that's clinician side. And then client side, I, I, you know, I don't know if I have much to add on to what I've already said, but, you know, but other than what Jared mentioned is to bring like your authentic, truest and, you know, most compassionate self to the conversation so that people's guards go down and they know that you're with them truly. And then they're more willing to, you know, show you the aspects of their iceberg that are sort of not, not showcased right away and then work together to just find what's most important. And, you know, I, I operate through, you know, self-determination theory. I'm all about autonomy. I'm all about, I'm all about, uh, uh, God, what are the other two? Now, now I feel like I don't know what I'm talking about, but that's most of the time. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Sense of competence and then a sense of feeling supportive. Like the, those are like my, my pillars of, of how I build rehab. So, so yeah. So people are going to hear this, Nick, and they're going to say, bro, I've only got like 15 minutes per patient. How do I lead people down this path? I can't just sit and talk to them the entire time. How do you, how do you go about doing this in the clinic? Yeah, this concept of time is one that comes up all always as a as a barrier. So, and I've heard the answer that 
I'll just do things over several sessions, but let's, let's just call a spade a spade. Like when, when they're, you're leaving a very high energy space with a person, you know, it's not recaptured in the next session right away. So there, I sometimes feel like spreading things across multiple sessions loses impact and loses meaning. So to those people who are struggling with time barriers, I think how I frame things is I let my client dictate what's most important for that day and, or, or even what they would like to accomplish that day. And then you can, you can just come to an agreement on what you're going to get done. So if they don't want to go deep and they don't want to explore meaning and purpose, then that's fine. Okay. We'll, we'll shelve that. We'll come back. And so really it's about setting expectations about what's going to happen that day. What do they need to get done? What do they need to know? And, and then when you meet those expectations, then you can feel good knowing that, okay, that's going to be uh, an important strategy to bolster trust and uh, your, your therapeutic alliance with that person right away. And then again, you, you can be content knowing that in doing so, you actually are starting to sort of break down the shields and the guards that are going to help people open up to you more in the future. So it's not an easy answer, but I would just say, come to an agreement on what's most important for that day and then deliver on that shit. And you, you will be less likely to be led astray. And sometimes meaning and deeper conversations can happen another day. There are people who have dove deep into behavior change models that are smiling right now because that is wait until they are ready for change. You lead them to the point where there's that inflection point, they're ready for change, and then you take them over the precipice there. That's awesome, dude. Like that's the million dollar question that everybody asks, but I, I love the answer. Yeah, it's amazing what happens when we just ask. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, it's just like, what do you need to know today? <laughs> <laughs> then deliver on that and things are they're usually uh things are usually good <laughs> at the risk of taking away from the gems that you just dropped uh nick hannah is also low-key uh the best or has the best green thumb in the rehab game right now just just putting that out there talk to this man about gardening and plants he'll 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 learn you something um, which is which is actually hilarious because because you know the the people actually wonder why I love plants so much, but it's because like of all the health benefits that nature brings you. <laughs> it's there's like a selfishness to it. So, and and honestly, like when when I'm taking care of my my little green buddies, uh, and I'm seeing these bastards grow, like what better way to take me out of my, my head here? I'll circle it back. What better way to take me out of my, my default mode than to uh, just be pouring, pouring some drink on these, on these little guys and watching them, watching them just become amazing plants. I've got like a six foot bird of paradise right now. That is, that is my favorite plant. And his name is Zazu. I was going to say all, all your plants have names, don't they? Oh Yeah. 100%. Um, just before I move off that, I, I do think that's actually pretty awesome, though. Um, 
what you're talking about in terms of having evaluating whether the habits or your actions on a given day are in line with with who you want to be and where you want to go ultimately you know john can speak to this as part of honey badger project well you can too nick um but as part of honey badger project uh frank and john and the coaching team talk a lot with good reason about um practices like that you know and there's the mindset transformation playbook series of modules and practices that that really uh, again like we led into this conversation with they can they can seem kind of out there and seem kind of woo woo as as we're fond of saying um but but there's substance to them for sure and one of the components is uh, creating your rules to live by and the whole idea is that if you if you have those rules it doesn't have to be a whole bunch forget the guideline john can correct me but i think it's something to the effect of like I don't know, five to eight or something like that. Maybe that's off, but just uh, really paring it down to if I just do these things today and I repeated this day 365 times, would I be at my one-year goal? Or if I stuck with this for an extended period of time, would I be where I want to be? Would I be who, who I want to be? And that's a challenging thing, but just speaking for myself, making that part of the daily routine right at the start along with a couple other things, really has uh, really has made a difference. And not to say that I bat 100 every day, not so, but at least it gives me direction, gives me an anchor and something to check, check things off against where I can say, you know what, I did a damn good job today. I was all right, let's do that again. Or if I fell short, okay, what happened? What were the factors? Let's try doing this a little differently and just kind of keep working at it. So um, hopefully if anybody's been exposed to that idea or if this is the first time, um, I'd highly encourage, encourage anybody thinking about it to give it a shot. And again, it can seem kind of weird, but, but give it some time. And uh, I think it'll, it'll grow. It'll blossom, if you will. Mr. Hanna well, just had to throw a, a plant reference in there. That's a, it's a really important thing. Nick, I want to ask when you were first growing your little green buddies, did any of them die? Regrettably. Uh, yeah. I, I did lose a couple of my, my home brace, but uh, yeah, that's, that really gets to the, the whole point of that. This, this life is about drafts, right? Like you're not going to get it right the first time. And meeting big failures, small failures with, you know, a sense of reflection, you know, what you just mentioned, Jared, and, you know, looking back to what went wrong, you know, what could I have done different? And then having the humility to, to change and try again and admit that you were wrong and sometimes ask for help too, right? Like I talked about that a little bit too recently. And I think pe people are weirdly apprehensive to do that nowadays because it threatens their sense of having to feel like they have it all figured out when the real secret of it all is that nobody has it all figured out. And that's the, that's the best part about all this. So, I love, I love that 
Jared, I mean, I, I owe John and, uh, and Frank, like a, a high debt of, of gratitude for really helping me master my systems and helping me figure out the, the fact that big change is just small change done really, really well. And this, this ability to create habits and have efficient systems that give you life, give you more life, give you more time and actually give me more energy because you know, a, before I, I think I, I just was like, I love my mind that it's creative and all over the place, but that same creativity going all over the place all at once is, was leading me nowhere. And I, one of my favorite quotes of all time is from Seneca who said, if one does not know to which port one is sailing, no wind is favorable. And which is really saying like when a mind is left to wander in darkness away from the light of your purpose and meaning, it's far more likely to end up lost. Now I don't think being lost is all that bad all the time because sometimes there are great rewards and great gifts from, from the unexplored and being lost. But, but for me, it was time to, you know, grow up, get my shit figured out. And, and so, yeah, I, I've never felt more in the zone about where I'm going and where I'm taking my, my shit. And it feels good. Does that relate to the next kind of level of transcendence that you alluded to before kind of be even beyond individual meaning? Yes. So let's go there. Let's dive in. So I want to, I want to say that, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that, that triangle, I'm sure you guys have all seen it. In all his work, and there's a, a psychologist who studied him very closely. His name's Scott Barry Kaufman. In all of Maslow's work, not once did Maslow, did Abraham Maslow ever draw that triangle. So that triangle has just been an interpretation of his work. And so what Scott Barry Kaufman did was reframe that hierarchy of needs into a sailboat, which is the most gangster reframe I've ever seen of all time. And so if you can, if you guys, to the listeners, bear with me, I'm going to walk up Maslow's hierarchy of needs in triangle format and then sailboat format. So triangle at the bottom is your psychological needs. And then up top is, is your safety needs then your belonging and love needs, then your self-esteem needs. And then at the top is self-actualization. And so meaning and purpose is really that self-actualization piece. But then this dude, Scott Barry Kaufman, my guy, reframe into the sailboat. So the actual boat itself is made up of three layers, which are your safety needs, your connection needs, and your self-esteem needs. But then the actual sails... And the mast is made up of exploration, love, and then purpose at the top or self-actualization. So we just finished talking about purpose and meaning. And so we, we were talking about it in the, within the confines of the self, right? So I want more than that shit. So 
not only do I want my own individual meaning and purpose to satisfy my highest creativity, my highest self and my, my greatest, my greatest self-actualized self. But I also want to transcend myself, which is the next level transcendence. And I'm going to give Scott Barry Kaufman's definition of healthy transcendence, because I think that captures really what I want all my projects to eventually do for the field of physiotherapy, but also for healthcare, um, and then the world at large, which, which is where I'm headed, fellas. We're going there. So, healthy transcendence he defines as harnessing all that you are in service of realizing the best version of yourself, so that you can help raise the bar for the whole of humanity. So in other words, if you can take your meaning and purpose to the point where not only are your, are your own needs actualized and taken care of, but you're in such a good place that everything that you're creating and doing now is for the betterment of just the community, the space, the people. And so I'm trying to find ways to sort of get outside of myself and like, I started this year and I gave away a free poster with a bunch of rehab messages that went global. And I cried, man. Like, I lost my shit when I started seeing that poster show up in friggin' Spain, in Germany, in India. And there's been tons of translations that I'm working on <laughs> producing. But that's the kind of level I want to strive to where, yeah, I want to be an amazing clinician. I want to bring everything that I am and everything that I'm all the aspects of who Nick Hanna is to the clinic, to the betterment of the people that I see. But I also want to make sure that I do my part to leave my profession better than I found it. Cause I can touch everywhere on the planet through social media, which is some cool shit. And I want people to see rehab the way Nick Hanna sees rehab. And I'm not saying it's the best way, but it makes me feel good the way I practice and what I do. And if people resonate with that, then, hey, I'm, I'm here to lift you up as well. And so that's what transcendence is all about. You know, getting outside of yourself, and leaving this this thing better than you found it, which is some some next level shit. But but that's the kind of direction I want to go to. Drag us along with you, man. <laughs> I'll do my I'll do my worst. You're doing you're doing the best, um, man. This has been awesome. Where can people? learn more about everything that you're doing and the programs that you're putting out. Cause I know you're putting out some amazing things that, you know, not only your clients can obviously benefit from, but other, your colleagues as well. Yeah. The, the easiest place to, to find me is on Instagram and my, my handles at Hannah moves, H A N N A H moves. People know me as moves. People know me as the Canadian celebrity. <laughs> People know me as a sarcastic prick, but right now I've launched a, 
uh, a mentorship program, a clinical mentorship program called Communicate, which is an eight-week program that is focused very heavily on our most powerful uh, clinical skill, which is communication and using it to foster connection. So I'm about to start my second cohort in May. Uh, that's going to be the last offering this year. And that's a very sort of niche little project that has a lot of personal meaning to me. And, and it's been a, a really fun ride so far. So if you're interested, you can check it out. It's uh, it's all over my, my shit. You'll easily find it. And uh, yeah, I got some, some other projects that I'm going to try and enter transcendent zone uh, that I've got, you know, just on the back burner for, for later on this year, you know, cause I'm going to be a, a good dude and listen to Frank and John and, and, you know, just tackle one thing at a time or else I'll get nothing done. So, so once I get this uh, second mentorship all, uh, all through and in the books, then, then I can, focus on some other projects that I got going on. I look forward to doing those too, but I'm not going to tell you about them. For the listeners who are going to be jazzed up from this discussion and may fall into the trap of, oh, I have so many thoughts and ideas and and I don't know where to start. What would be What would be your recommendations in terms of just the next most important thing? And maybe that's it, finding that next most important thing. Well, I'll, I'll just share something that was anecdotally very powerful to me that, that uh, Frank actually suggested I do when I was feeling like I needed to do 800 things at once and which was in effect doing nothing. He, he just said, write out everything that, you're currently working on or that you want to do. And then he said, then, then just prioritize it. And, and whatever is the top of the priority list is what you start with. And then going back to what we had sort of touched on earlier, it's like focusing on daily actions and daily habits. And that, that concept of what's most important to nudge you closer to that thing first and then get your shit started. That's the scariest bit, just starting. And then once you start, I'll see you. See you at the end. Imperfect action. Love it, man. Nick, thanks so much. This has been awesome. I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. We did it. How'd I do, Jer? How'd I do? Exceeded my wildest dreams. Wow. Nick, I'll meet you at Transcendence, buddy. Pitter patter. (laughs) (laughs) Hope you guys realize that that is Tupac. Well done. It took me till now. There we go. I did not realize that. So on on Nick's hat, he has a, a silhouette of Tupac with his bandana tied in front. And this this hat is made of jean. It's entirely Gene. Tupac's jeans or no? Maybe. <laughs> we'll say yes. I'm not going to lie. Your hat game is already at Transcendence. Like, you might as well <laughs> yeah. just stop there. <laughs> yep. Like, Absolutely. Agreed. Absolutely.
100 killing the hat game. Tupac's, I should have worn my Hannah yeah. Moose hat. How many how many Hannah Moose hats are in existence, man? Jaron Maynard, there are two Hannah Moose hats in existence, and you are owner of one of them. Wow. Hell Jared, yeah. can you wear hats, or does that burn right through a hat? <laughs> Depends on the lighting. There's a, there are a few math equations, but I I can wear a hat, so screw you. Wow. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna press uh, stop on the record just just in case something is said that you know. Uh, but Nick, thanks again. This is gonna be extremely helpful for people, and uh, I think it's gonna be one that people come back to over and over. So. Thanks, everybody, for listening. John, Jared, thanks for uh, joining as always. And, and Nick, thanks again, man. No problem, fellas. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Nick Hanna, and we'd really like to thank Nick for being on the show. You can check out the show notes for Nick's contact info so you can follow him and take advantage of all the great content that he puts out. And of course, thank you to my homies, John Flagg and Jared Maynard, for steering the ship alongside me. And thank you, the Clinical Athlete community, all six of you, for joining us on this journey of knowledge and improved practice in both the gym and clinic and life. And one more thing. Go to the link in the show notes, join the Kalu Community Facebook group, read the pin announcement, introduce yourself, read the resources tab that we compiled for you. Just immerse yourself in the Kalu community. We have so many great, great things in store for you in the future, and we don't want you to miss it. And check out the online Clinical Athlete Powerlifting Certification, again, link in the show notes. Thanks, everyone, and talk to you soon.